Annyeong SAO, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unnees. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. We are all back together, and not any one of us has COVID, so I think it's a good night. <laughs> right? Did you miss me? I did miss you. Although I felt like I was living very vicariously, um, Megan, just to set the stage for those who might be, you know, joining us for the first time or don't like, you know, follow the intimate details of Megan's life, like apparently I do. Megan was just on a really fun vacation, which we're going to hear a little bit more about. Yeah, so I wasn't at last podcast because I was on essentially a road trip with my family. So my husband and I and our two kids and my best friend's family. So her and her husband and their two kids. And so the deal was we rented this like massive Sprinter van. What's a Sprinter van? It's actually a Ford Transit, um, but it's like really high. Like it's nine and a half feet, I think. And it's like long, like you can fit like, I think, 10 to 12 people. We had a van like this when we were in Australia with uh, like on a multiple family trip. Do you need a special license to drive it? No, no you it's don't. Just un- it's just under what you would need. Oh my gosh, because I would not be able to drive one of these. I drove it. I wasn't going to, but I actually did drive it. And I was really proud of myself. I have pictures of me driving it. So <laughs> we, um, so the deal was I live in Pennsylvania. Uh, we were going to drive up to Maine and stop along the way and camp. And then on the way back, down the coast where we're going to stay at Airbnbs. So um, we stayed at campsites on the way up. And at the second campsite, we were in New Hampshire. My friend's name is Andy. And she had said, back when we were planning this whole trip, she's like, you know, while we're camping in New Hampshire, I want to do a full day hike and summit Mount Washington. And I said, cool. Did I know anything about Mount Washington? Absolutely not. I wasn't even sure what state it was in. (laughs) Did... (laughs) Did I do any research? No, I had no idea what this mountain was. I thought it was just, you know. And she wanted to do this with the little, kids? Yeah, fun little trip okay. up the mountain. And I was like, cool, this sounds great. I didn't do any research. And, um, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't do any research because I never would have done it. Never. <laughs> I would have stayed in the tent that day. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Now I can tell you, Mount Washington uh, is in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. I just Googled it. (laughs) Dude. Oh my gosh. I have to do it. I have to do it. No. It is (laughs) known as the most dangerous small mountain in the world. The most dangerous mountain. What? With kids? Yes. You did that thing with kids? Listen, the kids were fine, Amy. (laughs) It was me. Okay, listen, 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 listen. No one told me that there's like, a, like 150 people have died on this mountain. No one told me that. Yep. It's so it's the highest peak in the northeast United States. It's like over 6,000 feet, 6,288 to be exact. And do I know that? Yes, I'm gonna tattoo it on my forehead. So, okay. It takes a lot of experience to hike a peak like Mount yeah. Washington. Yeah. <laughs> so look. Look, I hike around, like, where the I park. live, okay? <laughs> yeah, and we have, like, we have, like, you know, Rocky Ridge, it's called, where, where you know, so I live in a very rocky area. 
I, okay, so I'm used to, to walking rocky trails, okay? What I was not prepared for on fucking Tuckerman Ravine Trail were boulders. Boulders. I'm talking like the size of like a cow up to like a Volkswagen. Like I'm talking... I am, I'm right from the outset. Like we, we, take, we, you know, we're prepared. Okay. I have like my shoes. I got my pack. I got my hiking sticks. I have my hat. Like I am prepared. I, we're taking all these pictures like, yay, we're about to hike a mountain. And then we start and I immediately am worried. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see a sign that was like in memorial of the, uh, like 150 dead? <laughs> I can't even tell you the rocks on this trail. Uh, there are many that like the rest of the party, especially like Sean, he's really tall. He's like six feet could just like walk from rock to rock like a mountain goat. And I couldn't because I'm, my legs are so short. I'm like stepping down. I'm getting like my feet stuck. And Sean said, by the way, Sean is like military man survival. Mo- like he could live in a wilderness for like probably six months alone and he'd be fine. OK, he can like kill his own meat or whatever. At any point was Neil like, Megan, you should not be doing. No. (laughs) Oh, my God. So the first so Sean kept saying, so again, we're climbing up just straight vertical. Like I thought there would be more like cutbacks. And also I thought it would be a dirt trail. Like, excuse me. I'm sorry. Okay. Did not know it would be like this. And I start. So you're finding like a dirt path up the mountain. Uh huh. That's what I thought. I you know what? Joke's on me. Okay, my my fault. So and I start. I should have noticed when there were like people who looked like professional hikers just flying past me. Should have should have been a clue. So Sean kept saying, "Okay, the guy in the lodge said that the the first hour you want to you want to quit, and then it evens out." And I was like, "Okay, okay, why? Well, I, I mean, I can hike an hour up this. It's fine." You know, spoiler: it didn't even out ever. Okay, so <laughs> we reached this like lodge area finally. Finally, I want to die. At this point, everyone's ahead of me. They have to keep stop all the children. Me, me, just so you know, the children are eight, nine, and two 11-year-olds. There's four children. Okay? And they're fine. They're all fat. Oh, they're fine. They're just like, again, they're like n- mountain goats. Okay, was this hard because it was taxing or hard because it was dangerous or both? Both. Okay. Absolutely both. Okay. So at this point, well, at this point, it's just hard. It's not dangerous yet. Okay, I was worried about turning an ankle, but that's it. I'm like, it's okay. So we get to this lodge, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna eat. It'll be fine. Megan needs to raise her blood sugar. Yeah, I need my peanut butter crackers. <laughs> so I had my, I had my, you know, peanut butter and jelly. We could go to the bathroom. Not that I cared. I would take a crap in the woods, but I was like, you know, got got my bearings, and I was like, okay, it's gonna even out now because Sean said the guy said it would even out. Did not even out. And this is when it started to get dangerous. This is when we were literally climbing up. A cliff and there gets up to a point where everyone had again left me which is fine I had like a whistle on my backpack in case um I fell and died so they're all above me and I look up and it's just a nearly vertical wall of rock and I'm talking these rocks are huge at this point they are bigger than a car like huge and I'm supposed to I couldn't even figure out where to go because it was just a wall of rock and I am like and then, and then beside me to the left is just a waterfall just a sheer drop off of a waterfall. By the time I reach the rest of the family, my daughter is clinging to a rock crying. <laughs> it, now it's getting cold, uh, which we were prepared. Now it's getting cold, but it's like 
kind of scary. I mean, at this point, you can see down and like you would fall and you would just perish. Like it's no joke. You'd be 151. I would. And so we're at that point, we're climbing. And that was when actually Sean said he started to get worried because we had to basically lift kids up onto rocks. We had to almost like walk holding hands like sides, like sidling along like little paths. Were there other people like passing you? Um, yeah. So, well, they passed me. Did they seem worried? No. All of them seemed exhausted as well. Like all of them seemed, they were just like, good job, kids. And I was like, excuse me, I'm the one who's dying, but whatever. <laughs> so, and at that point, I was like mistaken. I thought when we got to the top of that one, it would be very close to summit. So, so false summit syndrome is like a thing. Like mm-hmm. you think you get to a summit and it's like demoralizing. And that's what happened about five times for me. So we get to that top and I realize we're not close to summit. And it's just rock trail after rock trail. And I mean, steeper than a staircase. We're climbing up these rocks. And I go a little longer. Everyone's past me. I trip, I fall. (laughs) And I start crying. (laughs) And I am like 39 years old. All my all my kids are fine. Everyone's fine. I just start. You're not fine. I am not fine, guys. I am like, at this point, I realize I'm in trouble because as Sean said, at this point, we were so past the point of no return. Like I had to keep going because I couldn't keep going. I couldn't go back down. At that point, it would be longer and going down. Okay, so it's a circuit. So you were going to go up and then continue. Well, we were going to go up and get a shuttle to come down. Ah, okay. It was a shuttle at the summit. Okay. 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 So I'm like, I have to get, I I can't, at this point, I can't go back down. Going back down is much harder. I have to keep going, but I, at this point, I am terrified. I can't do it. I am nauseous. I think I'm going to vomit. And at one point, I like laid my head down, and I swear I blacked out for a minute. Like, the whole world spun, and I look at Andy, I look at Andy and, my, and Neil, and I just start, I mean, I'm crying. I'm like, guys, I don't know if I can do this. And Andy's like, okay, um, um, I'll give you some medicine. So she gives me, she gives me a ginger, like, yeah. drop to, I'm a toddler. I go, and like, (laughs) and Andy just looks at me and she goes, that was your medicine. And I'm like, it's so gross. Cause I was just like, I just felt like I couldn't put anything in my mouth. She's like, do you want food? I'm like, no, like I'm so not having an appetite. And so she's like, okay, just like, we have to keep going. I'm like, I know, I know. Again, climbing vertical rocks. And from the top of that little. But children are doing this. My children are fine. Children are fine. Hazel had a little moment and she was fine. So there's like a little plat, you know, because you climb mountains and there's like kind of little plateaus. And so there's a little plateau and we see Sean up there and he's holding a map and he leans down and he goes, when you guys get up here, we need to talk. And I was like, dad's mad. Like, <laughs> I'm like crying even more because I'm like, he's disappointed in me. He's not even my husband. So we get up there. And again, I'm still crying. Cannot stop the tears at this point. I'm exhausted. I am like emotionally taxed. And we look and... There's one last rock. I mean, I'm talking like just rock field. I'm, I'm talking there's no grass. There's not even a path. It's just a rock field vertical for 0.6 miles. And you might think 0.6 miles. That's not that bad. Like I can do 0.6 no, miles. No, that's a lot to climb. No, not when it's vertical rock. And again, I'm crying. And, and Sean's, Sean looks at me and he goes, look, I, I, I don't think you, you can do that. And I was like, yeah, you don't, you're not offending me. I can't fucking do that. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I'm so demoralized. I have no dignity left. <laughs> I'm a grown woman crying on this mountain. 
And he's like, okay, we're going to take this other path. And he's like showing me and he's like, these curved lines mean it's not as steep. I'm like, Sean, I have no idea what you're saying right now. Like, I am delirious. I am. I'm absolutely delirious. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, okay, well, we're going to take the, it's a longer path. It'll be an extra mile, but it's going to be much better. And I was like, great. Cause I've taken a look at that rock path and I can't, I, I can't do it. Like there's no way. So we go like around and it is much easier. It's still climbing, but it's like much easier. We get to the last plateau. And at this point, like everyone's has gone ahead except for Neil, because at this point, Neil is carrying my pack and his both packs. Because I can't carry my pack because I am dying, <laughs> physically dying. But he, and he doesn't want to leave me because if I like pass out, <laughs> my body's just going to lay there like the frozen bodies on Mount Everest. You, so how like, much were you imagining the chopper was coming for you? <laughs> this is another thing. I was like, am I going to need rescued off this mountain? <laughs> and what is that going to cost Do I have me? insurance to cover right. and this American experience? Do I have because no, that was the me? next. You realize that that was like the thing. I was like, I either get to the summit or there's going to have to be a chopper. I, Sean told me later that he was already planning on carrying me on his back because he's probably the strongest out of out of everyone, um, I, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> the kids were fine. Were they worried and about you? They were worried about me. Oh, the kids were. Yeah. You mean the kids? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And every time I would like hit a thing, they'd all cheer for me. I felt Aww. like a, I felt like, I, I felt oh. like a Make-A-Wish Foundation. Like, <laughs> Because they would like cheer for me. So we get to the last plateau and Neil's like, Megan, because he, he's the one who's staying with me. He won't. I keep telling him to go ahead because I feel bad. Leave like, me. No, I really, like, <laughs> Save he's yourself. Like, yeah. He's like, I really can't. I, that's like, I can't leave no, you. He can't yeah, leave you. you. Pass out. So it's 0.3 miles. And again, this is cut back, still rock climbing. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I know I can do it. Because I can see the summit and I can see the people. I know it's there. There's like structure. There's stuff on the summit but i have to poop and when i tell you <laughs> that was a twist like, I, that was that, a, i was not at that that was a good I plot think, twist yeah i think my body is just like we need to expel everything because she's dying <laughs> so i was like i have to poop and i look at neil i go i gotta poop he goes there's a bathroom at the summit i go no neil i don't think you understand i am going to shit my pants and he was like oh my god megan and i was like and then again we're above the my body is shutting down yeah we're like above the frozen tree line at this point do you know what i'm saying there's no trees it's just like rocks and i see this like big rock and i'm like neil i'm gonna go shit behind that rock i'll i'll dig i'll do what i need to do but i got because he was like i have biodegradable wipes in my pack and i was like it's fine i'll just i'll deal with it i'm gonna use moss it's good and so i go like behind this rock and i'm about to pull my pants down and i look up and i realize the people on the summit can completely see me. Like, I am... (laughs) I am am not covered. Are, like, tour buses up there? Yes. And just, you know, you can drive up and just visit the summit. So, like, these are people wearing, like, nice dresses. Yeah. Okay, if you can drive up, where's the street? Where's the street? Why can't you get to the street? The street's down the other side. That's where the shuttle takes you. Okay. Well, it's like a van. It's just a van. They put you in a van. Okay. So... I so I I realize I'm like I can't I I hope I can finish this and not shit my pants, so I start the the trek and I, I take there's like rock piles and at each cutback and I keep taking a break and at one point Neil's like Megan, you got a hundred yards, you have a hundred yards to summit and this hell is over, which by the way, about an hour ago I was like we're making great time right Andy because you said it's it's like a five or six hour hike and we're on like hour four and she's like, 
Megan, it's five to six hours up and back. We're making terrible time. <laughs> oh. it's like, okay. So again, I have nothing on me. I'm stripped down. I all I have is my hat. I don't want my hiking sticks. I don't want my pack because no one trusts me to carry anything anymore. And I finally. And you're like, about to shit yourself. About to shit myself. And just, you know, it's again, I'm still climbing on rock. I've been climbing on rock the whole time. I finally stepped down on like man-made gravel at like the summit. And I was like, I can't believe this happened. Like, I can't believe I made it because I truly did think I was going to need a helicopter. And Neil is standing kind of at the sign, like right when you cross. And he takes, he took a picture of me and it's the funniest picture. Because <laughs> I am like, <laughs> dying. Do we get to see this? Yes, I can show it to you. It is so funny. <laughs> I think he Please thought I'd be it. mad. And we'll post but, no. it to social media. Yeah, I look I look bedraggled. <laughs> <laughs> and then so and then I see all the kids, they start cheering for me. The kids who had already been at Summit for a good half hour. <laughs> they start cheering for me. And Andy comes towards me and she And did like, you still have the poop in you? Oh, yeah. Andy comes towards me and she's like, you did it. And I cried on her shoulder, broke down in tears. And then I go, I need to poop. <laughs> right now. Right now. And I go and I poop and it's the best poop ever. The best poop ever. Then we took a picture at the summit sign. All four, all eight of us. I'm sorry. And I will tell you, it is my most prized possession. That freaking photo, because I mean, Andy kept saying the whole way up, you're going to be so proud of yourself when you do it. You're going to be so proud of yourself when you do it. And I have to admit, I am. But you'll never do it again. I will never like Neil's like, I want to go back and do it. And I and I do feel bad because he did have to take it really slow because of me. I understand. But I it was so hard. It was I, I think at one point on the mountain, I said, this is harder than childbirth. I still might stand by that. It was so hard. But you know what? I did it. And now that I like I'm starting to research it, I'm like, I had no business. <laughs> I love that you researched it after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Like I watched a video that was like the top 10 most dangerous hiking uh, trails. And this one was number one. <laughs> yeah, that's in the US. So anyway, look, I uh, I almost died. I almost passed out on a mountain. Um, but thankfully, my family did not leave me. And I don't know. No, I guess like you say, you know, I, I've got a sticker that says I climb Mount Washington. I got a T-shirt. Like I was like then going like full out. You know what I mean? Like I was like, you're so basically like, oh, me hearties. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, I can do anything. I'm glad you made it back. So that's it. I know it was like a 20 minute story. It was a 20 minute just... story. And I feel like that story was partially to gain my sympathy so that I will go easy on you <laughs> on our podcast discussion coming up. Is that going to be the segue that uh, hard hikes are hard and this uh, topic is going to be hard on both of your friendships, apparently? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I'm back. I'm glad I'm back. I'm we are drinking too. a beer. Just happy to be with you guys. So I'm grateful to be... Speaking about any K-drama, even this one. (laughs) All right. So Megan's hike was hard. And this podcast, unfortunately, might get a little hard because (laughs) today I noticed some fighting words were exchanged that I wasn't a part. (laughs) Emotions began to run high and I was very confused because for some reason, because we're all, I guess, deep down narcissists, we all think everything's about us. So all of a sudden... Mm -hmm. Big feelings were being shared by one of our podcast members. 
And I was thinking that it was because of me. And I was like, well, damn, it had nothing to do with me. Someone else it had everything to do with me. Was not being very <laughs> charitable. <laughs> I was being, I was being we're okay. passionate. Tonight we're, we're okay. talking about Itawag class. And this is a drama that, you know, hit us all in different ways. And that is okay. So somehow I'm going to be the moderating force, apparently, which God help us. <laughs> all right. So based on a webtoon that ran from December 27th, 2016 to July 13th, 2018 via Dom Webtoon, Itawan Class is the first and so far only drama series produced by blockbuster Korean movie company Showbox. So here's a little loose overview to the plot setup. Pak Seiroi, played to bullcut perfection by Pak Sojun, has had his life turned upside down after he gets expelled from high school for punching a bully. Soon after, his beloved father is killed in a hit-and-run accident. After serving time in prison and with revenge on his mind, Sarai opens a pub named Donbom, or Honey Night, in Itawan, uh, a neighborhood in Seoul, along with his scrappy manager and ragtag staff. And they strive towards success and also taking down the bully's family who has been a source of so much pain in his life. So Itawan Class, which is set in the Seoul neighborhood, famous for lively nightlife, countless cafes, and unique cultural events, ran from January to March 2020, kind of right as like COVID really like kind of like hit and took over. And it can now be streamed on Netflix. It's the eighth highest rated K-drama in Korean cable history and netted Kim Da-mi a Boxing Award for Best New Actress, as this was her debut drama. Although she did have a couple of films under her belt by this point, including The Witch with Choi Woo-shik, who she later reunited with in her only other drama she's done to date, which is Our Beloved Summer. Okay, so first up, because I said this is a, you know, we had a hard hike to kick this off. This is a podcast that brings up hard feelings. So I guess I started it with a hard question, at least for me. Park Sejun was nominated for a boxing award for his portrayal of Park Seoui. He ultimately lost to his Midnight Runners co-star, Kong Ha Nul, who is my personal K-drama bias. Um, And Kong Ha Nul played the love-struck cop, Yong Sik, in When the Camellia Blooms. So does this award seem well-placed after watching both dramas? I love that you asked this question and that you have to answer it because that's putting yourself in a terrible place. I'll give you a minute. But I mean, this is this was tough for me because I loved Kang Hanul and Camellia, but I have to admit that that performance did not shift something in my soul like Park Sejun's performance in Itaewon. Camellia was a great drama and I, I loved it and it's one that I'll watch again, but Itawan, I think, is in my top three. Like, I still can't stop thinking about it. I will talk about it anytime anybody wants to bring it up. When we were filling out the awesome script that Leah wrote for us tonight, that's when, you know, feelings got heated on my part. (laughs) Because I just have big, big feels about this drama. It's just one of, you know, every drama hits every one of us in a different way. And I'm I'm happy for Kang Hanul, but... I didn't have the same reaction to Camellia that I did to Itaewon class. Okay. So this is my question that I asked. And for me, Kong Hanul has my whole heart. And I think he is a freaking genius. And I'm going to go so far to say that in his body of work, I think he portrays 
such variety so authentically and does so more than so far than I've seen from Park Sejun. However, Park Sejun's performance in Itaewon, I feel like slit my insides out, festooned the living room with my entrails like I was a victim <laughs> from Strangers from Hell. So I'm going to say PSG deserved the award, which like, what the fuck? Because Kong Han Newell, you are my everything. And I think it ultimately comes down to the fact that I think Kong Han Newell played his character with absolute heart, but that character got to, that character's personality just innately was over the top. And I'm not saying that's easy to do, but Pak Seori's character was much more contained and not subdued, but it was like an internalized struggle so much of the time. So I felt like Pak Sejun had to convey so much without being able to show a lot. So every tiny choice he made as an actor mattered. And so ultimately to me, not being an actor, that just felt like a harder lift. Therefore, I would have given him the box saying, but I hate that I asked this question. (laughs) I'm proud of you for doing it though. Yeah, it was a little masochistic to ask this question. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm the same with you. We all loved When the Camellia Blooms. We all loved um, Kong Han Nul in it. Um, I have to agree with you when you said that, I, like, the acting, the, the, the character of Park Sarawi just required kind of more heavy lifting when it came to acting. And it also is such an iconic character. You know, all anyone has to do is kind of, like, mimic the haircut and then do the, like, head pat tick. And everyone knows um, what character they're mimicking. It's just a very, very iconic and famous character. And I almost wonder, uh, like, when the Baksangs, like, when they aired? Like, I wonder if, like, the mm, like the popularity of the drama hadn't, like, hit its peak then? I don't know. I don't, And I don't know how they, like, do the awards. But, um, yeah, I mean, as much as I loved Kang Han Nul, I would, I would... I know, putting those two against each other is hard, but I'd probably, yeah, I'd give it to PSJ. It was just, like, again, iconic character. Okay. So with that hard choice and, like, Kang Han Newell, if you're listening, just know I think you are the best of the best. So it's not personal. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is a drama where we ended up being a little bit of a pod divided. So I'm not saying, and this is where I thought that I had, like, you know, really overstepped today because when emotions got no, high. You know, I'm not saying Megan didn't enjoy this drama or feel as if it had value, but I don't believe Megan that perhaps you sold Amy or I on it. And I'd I say did not. she tried that we she almost, tried not to like, <laughs> yeah, I would say that I really, I wasn't going to watch it, but then came, um, you know, Wooga squad being shown in, in the soup friendcation, which is that BTS spinoff with, uh, V or Kim Taehyung and then his Wuga squad, like a celebrity squad of friends that he has, including Pak Sejun. And as, as I, as I started watching it, I was like, you know, I really need more Pak Sejun and there's not much left I have to watch, but you know, like that was like an iconic that I hadn't watched because I'd kind of heard it was maybe a little, meh. so, you know, I've seen them in he, she was pretty secretary, Kim fight for my way, midnight runners. So I had some trepidation uh, due to Megan having some issues, And I did not expect to fall in deep, mad love for it. So I got to the point where I was like, you know what, Megan, Amy, I feel like you need to watch it and see how it hits you. And then it hit her right between the eyes. And now she's driving the clown car right next to me. (laughs) So Megan, this isn't a spoiler section, but without 
look, I'm going to be the friendly, you know, it's okay. You say what you need to say. <laughs> I'm not wagging a finger tonight. But what ultimately do you think are some things that made you lukewarm on this drama that if you were like considering it or, you know, not sure if this is for you, like, you know, kind of like rehash kind of like what made you lukewarm that you kind of shared to us? Yeah, well, I will first say, I thought I liked it. And I would say, first of all, when I started, I loved the beginning. And I was like on full on board. And then um, it fell apart for me at the end a little bit. And it was funny because I thought I liked it. I was like, I finished it. And I was like, I liked it. And then I started telling you guys about it. But I kept picking it apart instead of telling you good things. And I remember, I think it was Leah going, Megan, it doesn't sound like you actually like this drama. And I was like, huh? Like, maybe I did it. It was like, we. it was a weird drama for me. Um, but I would say ultimately it was um, the romance that was like what didn't work. Well, I should say specifically it was a love triangle. I didn't like the love triangle at all. I, you know, <laughs> I kind of think the female leads were, were done a little dirty. Um, and that ended up, you know, really souring the end for me because the end kind of did lean harder into the romance. And I will get you know, more into details later. And I would also say around the time the transgender storyline was um, becoming more prominent that I think that turned, I didn't like it. And I really think that that turned a corner for me. And then I started like, once I don't like something in a drama, then I start picking out more things I don't like. And I think that was the turning point for me when I started to really be sour on a lot of it. And I will say I got to the end and I was like, a man wrote this. Absolutely. This is a this is this is a man, a male written drama, not to be, you know, uh, sexist about it. And of course, it was written by a man. And I just to me, it gave me those vibes. And, you know, I will say this, too. I watched it a year ago. So I don't remember a lot of the really little details. I didn't have time to rewatch it. And to be honest, I didn't really want to. And <laughs> so I have to <laughs> I have to remember the feelings the drama left me. So that is what I'm going on. I'm remembering how I felt. Um, and the overall lasting impression of the drama. So that's what I'm remembering. And the lasting impression of the drama, because of the ending, I guess I would say, or because of like the back half is why I'm just like, I'm just lukewarm on, on Edoan class. Yeah. And I'm going to say, uh, here's the thing. You're not alone in this. So I feel like there are other folk who did not connect to this drama for different reasons. I would say, though, that what I think is interesting about what you have to offer is I think that some of the reasons you didn't connect to it that you'll get into later or didn't like it wasn't like a slam dunk for you, because like you said, there are parts you like. There's a lot um, I liked. Is I feel like it's different for you what took you out of it than what took other people out. So I think this is going to be a good Mm -hmm. conversation, because when I was trying to do a little bit of work on like what made what made other people not like it, because generally I'd say it's positively received are mm-hmm. people who didn't really like Issa. And so her character, I felt like, oh. really rubbed people the wrong way, which you can also see because she's kind of like an unlikable female character, which often gets yeah. just like, you know, they just get knocked more. But that wasn't really, right. I think, what, I mean, if anything, I felt like you were more like team her. <laughs> no, I was like really defending her, like yeah. hard. Yeah. So I think that it'll be really interesting to talk about in the second half, like what in the second half kind of happened that kind of like took you out of the drama, but we're going to wait for the spoiler section for that. Right. But Meg, um, Amy, this is your, your time. My time. Your, your time. So when you heard, I loved it and Megan was, you know, a little more muted. 
charitably. What were your expectations in going in and how much did that match the reality of what the show ended up kind of meaning to you? This was, I mean, honestly, I was, I was perplexed because early on in our drama watching days, you, Leah, and I lined up a lot as far as what we liked and what we didn't. Then when Megan jumped on board, she and I connected on the action side of things. But then you and Megan connect in your own unique way, too, on like the darker, more violent, you know, entrails on the walls dramas where I tend to peace out. But also we have our own singular taste, too, where we don't overlap. Like, you know, your hardcore slice of life love that is hit or miss <laughs> sometimes for me, which is totally fine. So I, I feel like I was like cautiously optimistic about eat one class because you and Megan reacted so polar opposite to each other. But like it really intrigued me. Like when Leah was like, I don't understand what's happening. If you know, if this drama sticks the landing, it's going to be like in my top five. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that's big love. So I dove in and I was on board after episode one. Like I knew that this drama would burrow into my heart and never leave. And that is exactly what it did. And I was not expecting that. I was like, okay, Leah loves, Megan was lukewarm. I'm probably going to be somewhere in the middle, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to have as strong a reaction either way. But this is without a doubt one of my top dramas, which I wasn't expecting. All right. Well, maybe the lesson in this is a lesson that we all know. But, you know, I think it's a good reminder to always make up your own mind with dramas. So, you know, like you might be listening to us sometimes when we're just gushing over something and then you watch it and you're like, nah, not for me. Or we are not feeling something and you're like, y'all are like wild because I love this. And so, again, it's just that thing that like, even if something doesn't emotionally connect with you, there's still value in like discussing it and examining it. And I think it's always fascinating, like what connects to certain, like what things connect to us and what things don't. So, okay. It or class is many things, but at its heart, it's a good old fashioned revenge story and revenge stories are popular in film and literature. So do you tend to like revenge stories and what's a revenge story you've enjoyed or not? You know, if, if you would have asked me, before this, like, do I like revenge stories? I don't think I knew that I did. But then when I started thinking about like where they show up in Western media and, you know, all the things that I've loved so far in K-dramas, you know, like Lawless Lawyer, you know, and stuff like that, I, I, I do. I love a good revenge stories. But I think I like, I think I like when revenge is a catalyst, but the revenge seeker ends up sort of learning something in the end that there is like more to like finding peace or happiness in your life than than just exacting the revenge that like you kind of miss out on a lot and that maybe exacting revenge isn't the win but you know sort of thriving in spite of your enemy is I won't say like where this drama goes until we get there but that's kind of where I feel like revenge is is most successful um, however, even if they don't end well, I think that a revenge plot can be compelling and satisfying because the ultimate thing that keeps you on the edge of your seat is will this end well or not? I think some great examples like from classic literature, like Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, does, you know, his revenge scheme bring Heathcliff's, bring Heathcliff happiness? Absolutely not. <laughs> but is the torturous story compelling to read? Absolutely, yes. And the same with like Hamlet, which I taught for many years. Hamlet 
ends horrible for everybody involved. Like, the revenge does not go well. He does not get anything out of it. Everybody dies. It's a horrible story. Um, but it's a compelling one to read. And in contemporary media, we have superheroes who are fashioned from revenge, like Batman, Deadpool, even Iron Man, if you're into the MCU and love, you know, the movie Civil War, like I do. But regardless of how the story ends, revenge is a compelling plot device that I don't think ever goes out of style. And what I love about Edawan class is that Paxaroui's revenge is a major long game, like a 10-year plan, which I guess also shows his, you know, incredible business acumen, which we'll get to later as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a great plot device, and I apparently love it more than I knew that I did. I've definitely said on the podcast before that I've said on many podcasts that revenge is actually like, that's, that's what I love the most. Any sort of revenge plot, movies, books, uh, K-dramas, that is what I want. I love revenge dramas. <laughs> um, and I did like the revenge portion of this drama a lot. I loved it a lot because I loved Anbo Hyun as the villain, which we will get to. But So I really, really, really did like the, the revenge portion of this. Agreed. He, I, I like that Park Sir had this like long game I- idea and he like knew where he was going and he wasn't going to stop until until he got it. And he was really smart. So, yeah, I would say, like, as far as, like, revenge, like, Western movie for franchises, John Wick's. I knew you were going to bring that one up, which is why I didn't even oh touch God. it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Someone on Facebook was, like, the other day was, like, kind of talking crap about the John Wick franchise. And I seriously got heated. I didn't I didn't respond because I was like, I can't. I can't. You basically pulled what happened with uh, Annie today. Yeah, I didn't get into it. But my point is, I was like, oh, my God, I will defend the John Wick franchise because I actually think there's a lot to it. Um, and I have high hopes for the last movie. Okay, well, I have never watched John Wick, and that means nothing to me, but I am happy for you. So, it's not, I don't think they're your movie. <laughs> I, I do like Keanu Reeves. Um, yeah. Okay, so what is a good comp for Edewan class? And who would like this? And who is someone who might be left more cold? <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're Megan, you're left more cold. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, Honestly, like this is not, we're not going to love every drama the same. So I'm, and I'm totally fine with that. And I love Park Sarah Wee. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know. I love, yeah, I, I know. Like there's, there's just certain things that hit us in different ways. But I'm like, I think anybody who loves an alpha hero with a loyal heart of gold would love this drama. Also, I think if you love ensembles with a side of swoony romance, that this is for you too. Like a scrappy ensemble, which, which I really like. It made me think a lot of startup because both are about groups of scrappy young somethings trying to get a business off the ground. Both have complicated love triangles that are both painful, but I think work. And both have a bit of revenge, although less so for startup, which is more about two sisters trying to sort of one up each other. But I think there's still that taste of revenge there, whereas Edewan class is full stop fueled by revenge first and everything else is second. Yeah, I think Startup is actually a pretty excellent comp, Amy, for some of the reasons you mentioned, like, you know, the scrappy, young, you know, 20-somethings trying to get a business off the ground. Um, For Revenge, with some over-the-top villains who seem too big to fail, I'd also say Lawless Lawyer could be a comp. Absolutely. And then maybe, um, you know, for the fact that I thought Edoan also was trying to be more progressive and having at least some slightly diverse rep, something like perhaps mellow is my nature. 
and who would like this? You know, I think people who like a slow burn that roasts you like a marshmallow over a campfire would enjoy it, um, who might be left cold. For me, you know, as I was watching it, Megan, I felt like I didn't even, you know, I was like, I don't even know you, you know, Mr. Queen, neither <laughs> of you liked Mr. Queen like I did. And it kind of like, you know, it did hurt a bit when neither of you felt like it was a romance, but I could, you know, I could kind of get it, kind of. But when I think of like how you felt about the romance in this drama, Megan, I feel like I'm like trying to read a book on physics. Like I can hear yeah, like, I, I don't get it. I can't, I don't get it. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is I know again, you aren't the only one who felt this way. And so I think you're either like moved by that romance or you're not. And I think that matters to how much you walk away feeling like this was ultimately a successful drama. Absolutely. So without getting into big spoilers, this drama is a love triangle. So, you know, how do you normally feel about love triangles and why do you think that is? And also, was this a successful love triangle in your opinion? Look, I am the most surprised to realize that the more and more I come in contact with them, I love a love triangle, especially if it's painful. Like, if I, I did not expect <laughs> no, this of myself. It's, like, it's what's weird. Funny is that Le- that's how Leah, like, she I know. said that. And now it's, I feel like you're finally coming I to don't, that. Uh, yeah, that was I don't what I get it. Like, I, like if, it's a, if it's a love triangle where the third wheel is clearly the third wheel and you don't know why they are even there, then it's boring and contrived. But if it's, a, mm-hmm, if it's mm-hmm. painful, yes, you yes, don't know yes. <laughs> who will win and who will lose, it's compelling. And I think this was done really well in Startup again, and in Reply 1988. Like, super painful, but super compelling. And I don't know what's happening to me. (laughs) I feel so seen. All of a sudden, (laughs) I feel so seen. It's like Amy has come to the dark side. And look, it's the painful love triangles that make love triangles worth it. A love triangle without deep pain, if I'm not, like, writhing in agony at some point, then I don't want it. Then it's just a contrived, like, plot, you know, just, like, they're throwing something else in. But if it's causing me absolute agony and pain, <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> I guess I guess that's who I am now. I didn't know that it was, but it is. <laughs> well, I guess I'm glad you're finally accepting it. Because I do feel like for a while you're like, I don't really love blood triangles, but then you're, like, loving them in these dramas. I so. know. Yeah, so I don't like love triangles. Like, I'm sorry. Like, clearly I don't. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Because I've watched a bunch um, and I never I never love it. So um, I dislike love triangles where there's like one man and two women even more. I, the women that like, they sort of like, they didn't, they didn't know each other. But yet they sort of like battled over him. And it just left like a really sour taste in my mouth. Like, I just never like... I never enjoy watching women feuding over a man. I'm sorry. It's just like my thing. And I and it's like, okay, that other people love a painful triangle. I don't. I just do not like it. And so I didn't like that at all. I didn't like their aggression towards each other over a man. I was like, you're two like successful women. Just like go do your thing. I don't just, ugh, ugh. I just <laughs> and we will get to that a little bit more later. I know. It's like, like I literally get like a like it's like a physical response. I don't like it. I was gonna say we talk about K drama life versus real life. I don't right. it I don't think love triangles are a thing in real life, really. Like as as much as they are, they are I mean I've been they in, are I've been in love triangles. Yeah, they definitely are real <laughs> I don't think that they are why. I don't think that they are as common as they are in media. Like I 
how many times in your life are you going to have, you know, two people, two people fighting over you? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying to me, it's the fantasy. I feel like of I was it. fighting more. I feel like I was more of the person that Megan doesn't respect fighting with another <laughs> woman. No, it's like I'm just saying it's like fantasy life versus real life. You know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't real love life, it. It's not your excitement. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that like people who love triangles love like women fighting over a man. But I'm saying like I don't like it in real life, and I don't like watching it. Once I'm just. In my books, I'm actually, like, really particular about that. Like, when they're my books, so I can write whatever I want. And I'm really super particular about that. I never write, um, like, other women drama because I hate it personally. So I think something so. I like about a good love triangle is the fact that in a romance, we know there's going to be an HEA. That's the promise of a romance is that there will be an HEA. And look, there are many times I am happy to just be propelled along by the conflict and the journey it is to bring two people together and fall in love. But sometimes I like to have some challenge to that. And that's where I feel like the love triangle just provides that little bit of like to like a story where I, if I'm like in pain and suffering, it just is like, I know I'm still going to be okay eventually, but I might be like damaged and there's just a catharsis in that that I really appreciate. <laughs> well, and I guess we'll get to it. But even if like I was okay with love triangles, I didn't like how yeah. I didn't like the way this one resolved. So okay. hang on by the seat of your pants because we'll we will get, get into that in the spoiler section. But for right now, since we're still in the non-spoiler section, I'm going to go and pivot to the original soundtrack of this drama, which is very famous. So do you think that the like accolades that have been like given to the Itawan class original soundtrack are warranted? And what's a song from the drama that you really connected with? I feel like this question is for me. I know it's not, but I feel like it is because I was going nuts over the soundtrack while I was watching this. And I feel like the songs in this drama were chosen very carefully. And I loved that. I was paying very close attention to the lyrics in the subtitles. And I will say Lee Chancel's cover of Ben Folds still fighting it, like killed me. It was used as a common refrain in the drama, and the song is all about what a father tries to do for his son, which is basically like the impetus of this drama, but it's all about what Pak Seori is trying to do for his father. Like, just here's a few lines from the refrain. Like, this is the drama, okay? And here's the lines. Everybody knows it hurts to grow up, and everybody does. So weird to be back here. Let me tell you what. The years go on and on. We're still fighting it. We're still fighting it. I And just the way, I mean, imagine a Ben Folds song, if you know Ben Folds. And Lee Chancel sang it just like Ben Folds. Like, it was the same sort of style, and it just, like, super emotional. I can't get this song out of my head. I really can't. Like, I went, when I when I was like, what is this song? How do I hear more of it? And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a Ben Folds song. So then I watched the Ben Folds video, and then I watched Lee Chancel singing it, and I was like, this is my <laughs> song. I love Ben Folds. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so I laughed when uh, you mentioned that you thought this question might be for you, because really, it's just here so I could talk about BTS. Uh, because <laughs> I loved Sweet Night, which was on the OST performed by V uh, from BTS, who shares the songwriting credit with uh, Hiss Noise, who's a big hit producer, and then Adora, who was the company's only female producer for a while and worked with BTS TXT from 2016 to 2020. Yes, I will ticker tape BTS facts 
whenever I can. So anyway, V had originally planned to put this song on a mixtape, but decided to release it on the Itawan original soundtrack because he and Park Sejun are such good friends. And I felt like in verse two, there's like this little thing where the lyrics are basically like, I'm wondering, are you my best friend? Feels like a river's rushing through my mind. I want to ask you if this is all just in my head. And no spoilers yet, but this felt like a key part of the drama (laughs) towards the end. (laughs) And the song just, I felt like echoed some of the feelings that I felt like were going through some of the characters. So before we leave the uh, non-spoiler section, the question, maybe the most important question of this entire podcast about this drama is bowl cuts. Hot or not? <laughs> They're normally not my fave, but Pak Rui patting his hair is my favorite gesture to ever gesture in a K-drama. So in this drama, hot. And for me, I find them underrated. And I always like them. From Pak Gum, <laughs> who made an amazing cameo in the last episode of Iran Class. Like, look, he really makes me love a bowl cut. You know, Reply 1988, he rocked it. I loved Captain Rhee's bowl cut in Crash Landing on You. I just always like a bowl cut. And I feel like it's like the gray sweatpants of men's hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was funny because when the drama started, I was like, oh, God, like, I wish they would have given him a better haircut. Like, uh, maybe he'll have a makeover, like, towards the end. I was like, ah, oh, God. But then towards the end, I was like, nah, I'm all on the bowl cut. Like, I'm all on it. I couldn't picture Park Seroui with any other haircut. So I was like, all for it. Okay, so now we're hitting our favorite part of every episode, which is our K-pop wreck of the week. So, Megan, do you have a wreck for us? Yeah, I'm actually going to wreck Purple Kiss, um, their song Pretty Psycho. So I think I've recommended Purple Kiss before, but I'm not sure. Um, And Pretty Psycho is actually like a B-side track. It's not one of their title tracks, but I really love it. It really suits all their voices. And there is a performance video on YouTube, so you can check it out. And yeah, it's just I'm really in. They they also have a new um, title track out called Nerdy, which I also really like, but I kind of like Pretty Psycho a little bit more. So I'm recommending that. So yeah, it's Pretty Psycho by Purple Kiss. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting AfternoonAdelight.com. That's www.AfternoonAdelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, Blow up your skin with K Mertrex. Find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So now we are moving to the spoiler section of the drama. So if you have not watched Ido One Class and you want to know nothing else about the drama, 
then this is where you should off-ramp until you've seen it. Or if you've watched it or you don't mind, hang around. Okay, so first off, just a softball. What is one moment from this drama that lives in your mind rent-free? You talked about a good one in our Iconic Moments podcast, so I'm going to leave that out for now. Um, And if it doesn't come up later, then I'll bring it up at the end. But one thing that... Because the romance did hit me in the right place here. And so I'm going to go to Park Seori's Confession of Love at uh, at the end. I was watching it on my laptop while I was, you know, sick in bed with COVID. And so I was just, you know, like diving right into this drama. And I'm in my in bed with my laptop. And this part comes up. And I'm just typing it on like a digital sticky note. Because I'm like, I need the exact words of this. Because... I'm so in love with this confession of love. And so I wrote it down. And here is what this is. And granted, this is the Netflix translation, right? So I'm not sure. But I was, I was like, I was, I was a mess. He was a mess. So anyway, he says to um, Issa, he says, my mind and my heart are filled with you. Is this how you felt? Because, you know, she was in love with him for 10 years. He says, is this how you felt? This is very nerve wracking. And she says, and this is granted, they were, they were almost just murdered, right? So they have just escaped being murdered and they're they're waiting to flag help down and she still calls him boss. She goes, boss, and he interrupts her with an urgent serengay. Serengay, you saw. And he's like holding back tears. And I, like, this is the part of the drama and this is not a call out to Megan, but this is a part of the drama that Megan was like so passionate about that made me not want to watch it. So we this hit us in like very different ways. And yeah, like I was passionate about not yes, liking it and you were Yes. Yeah. And so yeah, so I I loved his his professing his love to her. Yeah. Is it any surprise that the parts that really struck me are the ones involving Anbo Hyun, who <laughs> plays um one of the villains. The be- the better villain in my opinion. I mean, first of all, the chicken scene when his dad forces him to kill a chicken Ugh. and he talks basically about how they're predators and they need to take down their prey. Freaking iconic. Oh my God. Because uh, Ambohan's like in high school, he doesn't want to kill this chicken. It's just, oh my God. Like, I, I will say, like, the beginning of this drama had me in a chokehold. Just like Ambo Hyun choked that chicken. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, he didn't choke okay. the chicken. He's broke no, he didn't. He broke his neck. neck. I know. Look, I was Screaming. trying to go for like a that was good. Pun. That was good. Okay. That was good. Good. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, the one, and I feel like I mentioned this in iconic moments, and I don't care. I'm mentioning it again. He goes to jail, and before he goes to jail, he's got like a terrible orange dye job for like most of the drama, and I hate it so much. And um, and you kind of, I mean, I I had thought, you know, okay, well, he's like gone, like like now it's just the last big bad villain, which is his dad. You know, we're not really going to see An Bo Hyun again. And, you know, wrong, because then in a subsequent episode, we get a shot of a prison cell and there is like a slow pan up um, on a man who's doing push ups on the floor. So we see his shoes and then his legs. And we get this full on shot of An Bo Hyun with his sweaty black hair. He is like jacked now because he's just been like working out in prison. He's got intense eyes and he's ready for his own revenge. And it was like such a badass scene to me. Like, just because it was, like, visually awesome, because it's Anbo Hyun, and it's just, like, so cool, because it's a little unexpected. Um, but it also had major implications for the drama, because you don't, you know then he's coming back. 
Like, you know that there's going to be just another challenge for Park Sarui. And look, I wanted Park Sarui to succeed. Of course I did. But, like, I also love a bunch of challenges. And I also love An Bohyun as a villain. So I was so, oh, my God. Like, that scene, I think about it all the time. It was a good one. Yeah. It was really good. Okay, I'll touch base just gently on um, the scene that got alluded to because we did a, we mentioned it in the iconic uh moments podcast but just quickly there is a scene um towards the end when the hero is becoming just like aware of his feelings and the depth of his feelings towards the heroine in the drama and the entire movie being a revenge or the entire drama being a revenge story um a lot of times the villains are getting the upper hand seemingly and it's what they always seem to relish is they want to see Paxeri humbled before them. So they want to see him kneel, like as a manifestation of the fact that he has lowered himself in front of them. And he has so far eluded that desire and refused to ever get on his knees for anyone. Even if he's going to jail, no matter what, he will not get on his knees for the baddies. So there's a kidnapping scene, the heroine is taken, and the big the big villain knows where she is. And he's like, I will help you if you get on your knees. And like I said, it's like a meatloaf moment. Like he'd do anything for love, but he won't do that. He will do this. And so he <laughs> finally decides, you know what? Fuck it. I'm on my knees for this woman. I'm going to like, whatever, who cares? Like nothing, no, nothing is too small to do that. And he gets on his knees and like Megan kind of alluded in the podcast. It's like a, thud, thud. like it's a, yeah, it's, it's a like moment. Really dramatic. Yeah. Very it dramatic. And in lowering himself, you actually, he and you as a viewer see that he's elevated himself because it really makes the baddies look so petty. And, um, and so, yeah, it really works. So I like that one so much, but um, another one I want to touch on as well that has nothing to do with the romance, but I thought it was just a really powerful moment is something that um, the Edoan class has clearly is attempting to do. And, you know, we can discuss a little bit like if we think it's um, a successful uh, goal or not, but I felt like they were really trying to have um, to be a little bit more uh, progressive and diverse in their representation. And so, you know, we have like an ex-con who's trying to come good. We see a transgender woman, um, you know, who's being played by a cishet woman, which is, you know, a thing, but like, the person is me- the character is meant to be a transgender woman making her way in a world that is often judging her as less than. And then we also see um, a Korean African waiter trying to find his father and finding belonging. And so the drama does lean into topics like racism, sexism, gender issues, and class issues um, with kind of a lens that's trying to be inclusive. So um, one thing I want to just say is that in this we do have a time when. Um, the the heroine um played by dami she is not as open to the transgender um chef she's not she's not open she's basically like this is like like maybe you shouldn't work here and uh sari like really sticks by uh the cook really like values her um really respects her and so you see over time that uh dami's character yisa like becomes they become very close and they become basically like besties. And there's a moment where there's a cooking show and the chef is like nailing it and she's winning competition after competition. And 
it's the finals and the baddies have like intervened kind of, and they've like outed her as being transgender for like the world. So like this, this woman comes in to like do her cooking and everyone's like, she's, and they kept calling her a transgender, which also I don't like, but like, it, she's that, a but transgender. That, could also, that could also be the translation too. Like, it could, it could, yeah. it could be that, but like that kept happening. She's a transgender. Right. She's a transgender. And, um, and when she's trying to decide if she's going to like go ahead and like do the show or what she's going to do, um, Dummy's character gives her a poem and it's a poem uh, to read that really sticks with her. And I think the poem is really powerful and um, it's really short. So I'm going to share it. And then I want to share what something I found out about the poem that I thought was really cool. So it's just called Diamond and it says, I'm a rock. Go ahead and sear me. I won't budge an inch because I'm a rock. Go ahead and beat me up. I'm a solid rock. Go ahead and leave me in darkness. I'm a rock that will shine all alone. I don't break, ash, or decay. As I go against nature's way, I survive. I'm a diamond. And so this poem gives um, the character a lot of strength and kind of like centers her so she can go on to like be her best self and just like be loved and accepted for who she is. She wins the competition. And, you know, from then on, I feel like she's just like very accepted. And that part of the drama kind of gets like reconciled a bit, you know, again, like, is it like a perfect rap? No, but is it trying? Yes. But something I thought that was interesting is that that was a poem that was actually written by the creator of the original Webtoon comic series. And so um, that was Guan Jin. And so I was trying to see like who wrote the poem because it's like an emotional moment in the drama and it was actually the webtoon creator. So I liked that. And I thought it was just as much as I felt like the rep was a little bumpy and clunky. I did think at the same time, like, look, I'm also not trans. So I don't want to be like, Oh, I thought, look, they tried and good enough. Cause like, that's not my place to say it's like a cishet, you know, person. But I do want to just acknowledge that like they were really making an attempt to be respectful Personally, I saw like some problems with it, but I also do feel heartened to see that like we can look forward to better rep, more inclusive rep, rep that actually is like being played by people from the communities that are being represented. Right. And so, um, yes, I would just want to like throw that out there too. Yeah, I feel the same about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I, I will say, though, this was the point of the drama that I started to really get sour on it. Um, and I think it's because I really didn't like um, the storyline. And so this is kind of like, again, where I sort of all my focus started centering because I really felt like there were some of the, like the victories that were meant to be for individual characters felt just like victories for Park Sarawi. And this was one of them. And I really I'm never going to like a storyline where a character is outed. And I know that it happens. Uh, I don't like it. And I don't think that this drama was prepared to like do it correctly. So it really, really left uh, a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and, you know, I really felt like she suffered a lot. Um, and I realized, I realized it was her choice. I understand. But she really suffered a lot to go through this cooking competition. And it didn't, I mean, other than like, emotionally and like uh, for her i guess um it didn't benefit her necessarily um it, it was like all for parks are we like and it, I, mean, I, I know that that might yeah, not, give that's me, not yeah. might no. uh, how other people view it but it didn't feel to me like the storyline was hers 
That's what I'm going to say. Because I also felt like then they sort of just resolved it. They were like, okay, she's fine now. And I'm like, no, she's not. She was like, outed. do you have security for her? Are you going to protect her? She was just outed to a conservative country publicly. And then you're just like, well, she won the competition. Parks are, we did his revenge. So now we're just going to, it's fine. And they never revisited it. And it, it really burned me. I'm sorry. And that was when I really started to turn on the drama. So I do think. To me, it wasn't resolved. You can't resolve that. So I have an alternate perspective. I don't think that her victory was to elevate Sari. I think it was to elevate herself. And that was part of what makes, I think, his character such like a good true alpha is that I felt like his his anchoring to these different people helped them kind of grapple with and then elevate things that they were looking for. And so for her character, I don't disagree. I will say that like at the beginning, she is a cook who is not doing great. Um, He'd met her like doing mechanical work or something and was kind of like, come be my cook. So she had like not a lot of experience and she kind of just like, wasn't giving the biggest of shits. And that was almost why she, you know, there was like some pressure to like fire her too. It was like, you know, she, her cooking's not good. People don't like it. Our business isn't going well and it hinges on food. This is really important. And so there's a scene where you think she's going to get fired. And what he does is he doubles her pay and is basically like, I believe in you that you're going to like get it together. And it wasn't for like him. It was like for her to be like, look, you could be awesome. Just like, I believe in you. And having somebody be like, I see you and I think you have worth and I think you have value and I think that you belong here and that you're part of my family and I think that you can do great things. I don't think that that was to elevate himself. I think that he was just a conduit that actually Not elevated himself. Her. I wouldn't say himself, but it was still his mission. And it, And again... I would have been fine if I felt like her storyline was still continued, but I really feel like they're just like, okay, she was outed. Everything's okay. And there was never any sort of like follow through um, with that, with a, with an outing. Like, I don't think that they talked me, about I, like the social safety issues. You're correct. They did not do that. I think that what they did do was more just kind of have like their family of, and I'm saying like found family, being yeah. more strengthened and her role within that became more supportive and centered. And then therefore she was a source of strength to others. So I, am I going to fight to the death to say this was like fantastic rep and like the story like right. went to great places? No, but I don't think that it was. And this is the thing too, is that I think that his mission ultimately was revenge and the restaurant was like the catalyst for that. But each of the people that were in that restaurant were there for a very specific arc to themselves that yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think gave them their own agency and why it was like such a team and it, what didn't just feel like in service to him. Right. Um, okay. I mean, I agree with that to a, to a degree. I just really felt like that dropped off at the end completely. And then it was really all about him and they all sort of lost their characterizations. I'll say it again. The time jump. I hated it, hated it. And that was sort of when I felt like we lost the really true grit of this drama like i wanted him to succeed but that time jump i just feel like we lost a lot and i think that was where again i started to just like be like i don't i don't i felt disjointed with the with the drama and didn't didn't really like it okay well i'm gonna bring it back to where we're going and then like we can weave in some of this as we go so um just 
you know, not to like shut it down because I think it's fine. And I think bring it up. It's just, I don't, I want us to like kind of stay on track too, because otherwise we could turn into like a three hour. I don't know who wants to listen to three hours of Itawan. Like maybe I would, but (laughs) (laughs) okay. So who is a secondary character in the drama that you all feel like nails it? So, I mean, I don't know. Was Yiso like a secondary character? I don't know. I'm going to mention her. Because I loved Kim Dami as Joe uh, Iso. I loved her so much. Um, I, you know, to me, she was the definition of an unlikable character. She was an unlikable uh, female character. She was pretty damn unlikable. And maybe that's why I liked her so much. She was just really complicated, really complex. And um, her motivations sometimes were like murky, but then they also weren't because pretty much her motivations were just to like, make Park Sarawi succeed. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I, I liked her a lot. It was an amazing role. I think she deserved the best new actress, Beck saying, and she also had a great haircut. She, she did have a great haircut. haircut. I like that. Yeah, I had haircut <laughs> so envy great. the whole time. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. She had great hair. And shout out to, like, a good meet cute. When she, like, runs into him when he's wearing that big, like, bear costume or whatever. Yeah. It's a good meet cute. That's and like I like that that was It's like Leah's meet cute and upside down. Yeah, exactly. it was kind of like my Mickey, but I like that it was that he was like, "I've got to promote my restaurant. I'm going to dress up like a big bear and hand oh, out flyers." And everyone's like, like so oh. he has no idea. It's cute. He needed Iso so bad. <laughs> it's cute. I liked it. Yeah, because she's an Instagram like social media genius, like famous influencer. One of my favorites was uh, Kim Dong Hee as Jang Gun Su. I thought so. He was the bastard son of our our bad baddie and i thought he had a great arc um who he was this guy who at first wanted nothing to do with his family and then thought gaining his family's power would win him um yisa only to learn that power can corrupt even those who seem to have a moral compass like it looked like he did i liked him in the end like he learned from his mistakes and was hopefully you know on the path to finding happiness you know both professionally and personally but i liked that he learned from you know this sort of power that power can have over you kind of thing you know like once he Mm -hmm. got it he went a little crazy with it like he was you know he was the one who outed uh hyun yi and then he felt like shit afterwards which i thought was good and he apologized to her which i also thought was good like i think we should acknowledge that that he was the outer and he also apologized like he was very misguided but I, I think at the heart of it, he was a good person where, and we'll talk about it when we get to the, the villain stuff, but like, you know, Gunwan, like he, he lost sight of, you know, any sort of, you know, even moral gray area and just went off the deep end. And then for me, I, um, look, I really thought that Kwan Nara did an awesome job as Osua. Um, so this was the second female lead, I guess you could say, like the non-winning part of the love triangle and, <laughs> you know, had been like, it reminded me of, and I think I mentioned this to Megan as I was watching it, like it reminded me of Gone with the Wind and how Scarlett had Rhett there the whole time, like awesome, but yet like pined for Ashley and had this, like, just, like, Ashley's my person. Ashley's my person. Like, this, like, little, like, one-note mind. And I felt like that's what his character kept doing, was that Sua was his person. And she was, look, she was on a different journey. Like, she was working for the competition. 
he respected her. They kind of had this like odd friendship, like will they or won't they, that it just like kind of sustained them for a really long time. But I thought she played it in a mature, thoughtful way. Like I don't think she became like a one note character that kind of was like just there to like be a roadblock to the love interest or anything i thought that she had good agency i thought that i understood why she was making decisions like she did she was an orphan she was looking for financial security she was looking for um yeah mostly money and safety and knowing she wanted to provide for herself and i have to say that i would like i'm glad she didn't end up with the lead but I was really happy that they opened a door for her at the end where she was running her own restaurant. And then, we and then they her, gave her. Yeah. And then we see that she, you know, things aren't so dark for her because the new head chef has come and it's uh, Pop Bogum looking very cute. Very cute. And she's going to have like some Nuna action hot in the kitchen. And so I was like, good for you, girl, to get that. But I just thought she just she had a difficult role to play. It was a complicated person. And, um, but ultimately somebody who was a good person and was making decisions that were for their self-interest and that's okay. It's okay to make choices for yourself. And, um, and so I thought that in the end, she was still rewarded for doing that. I loved seeing her in this after having just seen her in, um, my my mister. Thank you. I'm like, what did we just watch? Um, cause she's so different. She's so different. And I love when you get to see a range that an actor can play. And I thought she did a really great job. Okay. So let's get to the elephant in the room or the, you know, the <laughs> sidebar chat that happened today. So obviously this is, this is where we differ. And again, I, I have to say, I'm recalling on my lasting impression of the drama. And I actually really like doing that sometimes with dramas. Cause sometimes when I'm immediately done, I just kind of like everything. Like I like every drama. And then I kind of like sit with it for a while and I'm like, but did it leave a lasting impression on me? Like, was this romance? Did it ha- did it leave a lasting impression on me? And this one, this one didn't. And I really did have to sit with myself then a little bit and figure out why. Because um, I did like this drama. I love the revenge portion of it. I love the villains. But the romance did not just work for me. Um, so I mentioned before, I don't love, I do not like love triangles. And feuding women is always going to be like really meh for me unless there's like a lot of humor associated with it. But this one wasn't. I mean, this was an intense drama and there were feelings that were lasting decades. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, uh, Park Zoe had had feelings for Sua for like, oh my God, so long. And I, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy how long the love triangle lasted. It lasted a very, very long time. Even and then there was a time jump and it was still happening. I was like, "What is going on?" And Parks are we still a virgin? <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I think I, when I watched, it, I messaged you guys. I was like, "Guys, guys, look at Parks are we in this drama?" Uh, no, 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 shut up! I love it. I love it. And I know, I know. But I was like, "Oh my god, guys!" Anyway, so okay, I'm gonna try and condense it as to what I wrote in in the thing. But here's the thing: I know that. Yiso had agency. Like, I know that she made the choice to do what she did and basically, like, dedicate her life to Park Seroe and his, like, quest for revenge. But the... He pined and, for like, Sua was his person for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I always felt, like, if Sua was like, okay, 
he would have like left Yiso in the dust, like never would have looked back. So that's really hard for me. Like I need him to, I need, I want to know why he loves Yiso, not just that she's there. And it, it did start to get even a little cringy for me because it was like, you know, they had this time jump and she's still like blatantly hitting on him. Like she's saying, I love you. When are we going to date? And he, now they're like professionals. They're like, they've reached the pinnacle. They've like had their revenge. And she's, and he's still not interested. Like he still wants Sua. And I was like, what are we doing in this drama with this, with this romance? And to me, it felt a little bit like she just wore him down. And I didn't feel that he actually loved her for her. I never got the sense that he understood why he loved her. And maybe he's, I don't, I don't under, I don't know why he loves Sua either. Like I just, he was just not that kind of guy, but that's the type of fantasy romance that I want. So maybe I've been spoiled in K-dramas. I don't know. But when he, (laughs) goodness gracious, I mean, she like passes out from exhaustion because she's working so hard for him. And he's like, oh, huh, she's been doing a lot for me. And she really loves me, so I guess I'll buy her a necklace. And that I was guess- I know. That yeah. thing, this is how Megan described it. Yeah, Megan. I know. This is I know. ability to describe it. May, okay. And I guess I'm like, disagree, but that's okay. okay but I, I didn't. No, in no way was he like, I love you because I think like these things about you. It was more about what she did for him. And the fact that she stood by his side the whole time. And I feel like, yes, that's important in love and that's important in a partnership. But like she had her own values and her and I just feel like it was. And and of course, he gets on his knees to like save her when she's going to die. I mean, come on, you would do that for anyone. And so I that none of this was enough for me. And then so I was like waiting for this big love declaration when I watched this, this drama. And this is what I complained to them about. And they were like, I don't want to watch this. I was waiting for this big love love decoration and meaning I wanted him to be like, this is now I realize why I love you. These are the reasons. I needed that from him. I did. I'm sorry. I needed him to say why he loved her. And instead he goes, Sarange. And they kiss. That is and not it's, it. It's, it's, not, it's, it's just, not it, but that's okay. It's just freaking out. And that's it. Like the, the, the romance is just resolved. Like it's resolved. And I was like, what? Oh, yeah, like yeah. what is happening? So, and again, that's the, that's like, I, it didn't move me. It did not move me. And I still don't, again, I, to me, it felt like. I agree. That would my last me either. Yeah. The lasting impression <laughs> of, happened, for me, the lasting impression for me of the romance is that she basically wore him down. And he's like, okay, well, she's been with me all this time. I guess this is what we'll do. And I was like, this is not, again, what did he love about her? He never said. He never was like, this is what I love about you. And this is why I want you, like, by my side. This is why I want to have, like, a relationship with you. You can't tell me he ever said that. Right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, this hit us in totally different ways. Okay. And so one thing that I will say is, like, yes, she, like, loved him for 10 years, but he never asked her to do that. And he never led her on and made her believe that if she waited long enough that he'd fall for her. Like, everything she did was her choice. She had agency. She was a strong female lead. But she was also, you know, when this all started, she was also young, impulsive, and manipulative. Like, she led Gunsu to believe that he would win her over if he gained control of Janga Group. Which really she just said to like divert his attention so she could focus on Sarui. 
both women in this drama, including Sua, our other female lead, I think were manipulative. And not, I'm not necessarily saying, like, neither of them were bad people, but both of them were self-centered. And again, I'm not... I'm not saying it in a way that they were self-centered because they were bad people, but they were focusing on what they wanted and what they needed. And like Leah mentioned about Sua, like, that's okay. We get where she came from. She came, she was an orphan. She needed security. And Pak Zoe could not give her that security initially. And so she did kind of lead him on for 10 years. Um, But... You know, for, for Yisa to continue working for Idemwan class and for years and to walk into the rooms and basically profess her love to him, like, I, I didn't like that either. Like, that was that was cringy. But what I will say is this, in, in how it sits with me as far as him professing his love to her. Like, I don't think he bought her the necklace because he realized how hard she was working for him. I think he bought her the necklace because he realized that when she was in trouble as far as, like, her health... Like, I love the guy who doesn't know he's in love, mm-hmm. right? That's and that's what was. I and that's what I thought this trope was. I don't think, I think that if Sua said, I love you, come be with me, that it wouldn't have worked out. He might have thought that she was his endgame because he didn't know anything else, right? Right. Oh, I think, I don't think it would have worked out, but he would have gone to her. Look, I, I don't. It was like the. Uh, <laughs> he would have been like, look, I okay. like gone with the wind where Scarlett thinks she wants Ashley the whole, like for so much of the time because she doesn't realize that she's freaking falling in love right. and lust and everything else. But, for but where are you getting why he fell in love? With why her? does it have like, to be where, a why? Like, what do you why mean do you the need why? So why? I mean, the why is, well, again, even when they had that love confession, she's, she has told him many times. She was like, you know, I love your determination. She even says that in that like final, but love I guess confession, and he I, responds and says, Sarange. No, I don't I was no, like, he, like no. he had the whole speech. He had, like, I think what was confusing. I read it to you. Yeah, I read that He speech. read this whole speech where all of a sudden, it was a sentence about, <laughs> no, but here, but here's the thing. I don't think you need a why. Like I'm going to go back to startup. Cause this, didn't it happen in startup when Namdo sounds like, why do you love me? And she's like, cause you're you, her hand, your hands. <laughs> but, but like, but it was like, but it wasn't. It I wasn't love your hands, hands, but it's because yeah. you're because they're yours, like yeah. basically, yeah. right? Like, but I would say that whole drama felt more balanced, and, and but, I guess but that I'm was just my saying, thing, like, the I, drama felt so one sided. If you have a a person who pines for like ten, it was different that drama. But look, to me she because pines again, in a different way. Balanced. I think that like you're. So here's the thing. I'm gonna just like I do want to say this is that. Why was she there? She was there for him, but she was also there for herself because, again, he was yeah, the catalyst totally, totally. for each of the people at the restaurant kind of tapping into, like, their why. So, you know, like, in, like, work, there's always, like, the what's your why? Like, why do you do what you do? And in his case, mm-hmm. he had a very articulated vision of why he was doing what he was doing. And then he mm-hmm. that strength attracted other people who didn't quite have that. In her case, she was somebody who was very talented very attractive, had a mother who was pretty manipulative. And she just didn't really have like a, like she was somebody looking for like a hero and looking to somebody she could respect. And she didn't even know that was like her part of her journey. Because when she first meets him, she's not like, oh my God, you're so amazing. Like, you know, she's like, you're, I think she thinks he's stupid. Yeah, like you're like, <laughs> a, yeah, you're like a yeah, you're a dunce. dunce. I can yeah. you, and you're not going to succeed without and then, me. No, I I totally. Agree. And then she begins to find a lot of value and like a compass within him, and that also then like helps inspire her to find her internal compass. 
But again, this is about yeah, and so that's where. But then for him, I think that he reciprocate that. Well, I think what he's doing is like the whole time, like what is the like in the in the Jane Austen, um, you know, book Emma and the movie Emma, and then like the spinoffs of Clueless and things like that. You see, like there's the character of Mister Knightley, who's just kind of like always there, like coaching Emma along. Emma makes mistakes, and there's like you know the scene where she like makes mistakes, and he's like badly done, Emma, and she's like very upset that like you know she realizes that like she wasn't being her best self, and like this person. Like, and I mean, it's not as patriarchal as it sounds, but just that idea that he was providing kind of like this like compass for her. And I feel like for him, what he was gaining out of it was like this idea that like, he's kind of like seeing her as this person with so much potential and he's so connected to her. And I think that like, as the drama's going on and on, like they're just becoming more integrated. And it's not that he's just relying on her to be successful. Like she's like his like other half. And he's just literally not realizing that because he's emotionally stunted and has had so much trauma that like, he is emotionally stunted. What is and happening I think that was at him- the end. That was my problem for me is I was like, dude, you, I don't know, man. But I think that he was able to articulate like his bewilderment in a way that made a lot of sense for his character in saying that like, you know, he's just like, oh my God, like this is all here. And I don't even have like the words to put to like the power of what I'm feeling inside. And I felt like, you know, like the necklace to me was a really pivotal thing. Cause I felt like, you know, you had mentioned like, she's like, buy me jewelry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would be such like a sad end for that character to be like, get me jewelry. But it wasn't really what she was going with that. And then when he like goes to get her jewelry, it's like the beginning of him being able to like stop being sensitive. Like, you know, he was the kind of person that was like, I want to run this restaurant. I'm going to put on an animal suit and pass out a flyer. Like he's kind of a dummy sometimes for as like amazing as he is. And when it came to like his feelings with love, I felt like it was the same. Like he was at the state where he's like, he was at the level of somebody who would like dress up like a bear and pass out flyers on the side of the road. He just didn't really know what he was doing. So as far as the, why does he love her or, you know, I don't, I don't think he needs to say to her the why when I think we can see the why, like the viewer sees the why happening. Like I see, I, I didn't. Though. Okay, but let me, that's the problem. But let me, I don't, well, and I don't even necessarily know if it has to be the why. It just has to be the her. When he is, right. you know, like when he professes his love to her, by the way, he's near death. Like he's just, like he's near death, right? Like he's just like gotten out of the hospital when he should have still been in the hospital. And he's near death and he almost does die again. And he's in this like, whatever, like coma sleep where he has like a heart to heart with his dad. Right. And when he's, when he's talking about, you know, all his dad ever wanted for him was to be happy. And of course this whole revenge thing is not making him happy. And Mm -hmm. when he, his dad, you know, asks him if he's happy and his dad's walking across the bridge and he's trying to get Sarah Wee to come with him. And if he crosses Mm -hmm. the bridge, he's going to, that's, he's choosing death. Right. So, and when his dad's waiting for him at the bridge and he's like, you know, are you happy? And he starts, you get the montage of him seeing Yisa in all these different, you know, scenarios and realizing oh, shit, like, that's my happiness. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was enough of a a why or or whatever you want to call it. Like, he realized his happiness was her. And it wasn't anything else that he's been doing for these past 10 years other than her these past 10 years. And that worked for me. And then when he wakes up from the coma and she's sitting at his bedside, he's just in tears and he hugs her. Like, he didn't even have to say Serengay. And that was after the Serengay. Like, I didn't even need to hear him say it again. But he does say it again and again. 
Like, that's not the only time he says it. He says it in the time jump, too, you know? Okay, he says it three times. Good for him. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I and, I and again, I agree with you. I just, again... You didn't fucking feel it. <laughs> I didn't feel it. <laughs> I think it's something that I think would be fun for listeners to weigh in on, like, where you fall. Because I think that we... It's like, you know, when they have, like, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I feel like we're just talking at each other. And right. we're, we're emotionally. Right. I just didn't feel it. Yeah. I got, I'm sorry. And I also felt zero sexual tension, which is always a problem for me. So that's also like. Yeah. So I think that you know, if you walked away from the drama being like, I didn't fucking feel it, that's fine. If you walked yeah. away being like, I feel like this was in the top three like romances I've seen. Like oh, maybe we're getting into like what happened with Goblin too, where like Amy and I were both like, oh my God, like this romance was everything. It's interesting too, because. I did think I was completely alone. I was like, I'm clearly the only person who doesn't love Edo on class. Like, has, like, cause I know it was like, there's a Japanese remake now. Um, but then it was funny. There was another podcast who was watching it on Twitter and they were like, kind of, this was a while ago. And they were, they said all the, my same thoughts. And I was like, okay, well, at least I don't feel completely. No, alone. I don't think you're alone, <laughs> but I do think that a lot of people seem to dislike it more for the unlikable heroine. But I felt like this is where, again, I'm saying you have a different perspective. And, I know. Um, I'm sorry. No, you don't need to be sorry for it. It's just I I think that it was a good thing for me to think that as you watched it, you felt like the end was like this person's moved heaven and earth and everything. And he's like, sorry, hey. And then it's over. That's exactly and I'm like, how well, I, I don't want to watch that. And then I watched <laughs> right. it. And I'm like, That's I am I so fucking deeply moved <laughs> that like I and then I was like, well, the blame is on me. Because I should always make my own choices. Like, I can't turn around and be like, Megan. But I was like, you know, it's. It's true. And that's I, it's exactly why I told you to watch another Miss O. I yeah, I will. Did I not like I it at like all. It quite a bit, probably. Like, you might you might like it. And I think you should try it. You know, yeah. I think that would be a fun discussion. So. But I didn't like <laughs> I really want to watch a drama. Like, come on. I'm ready to like gush about a drama. That's all I have to say. I don't like talking bad. I don't want another my mister. <laughs> like my mister was fine. I just, I couldn't watch it. No, I mean the podcast. Oh, right, right. Like I don't, I actually don't, I don't enjoy. Oh, right. I actually wasn't really. Oh, whatever. Both of super... you. No, I call bullshit because both of you relished what? not liking Mr. Queen. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, that was so fun. if anyone wants yeah, to go back and listen, you tell me how much sadness there was as I was like, it's a romance. And they were <laughs> But I was still entertained by my, my Mr. Queen. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you, I mean, clearly you had some entertainment here. You just were upset. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I don't feel bad about this podcast going long because Megan's the reason. And we had to, we had to hear her harrowing journey. And I'm just saying, like, I'm saying for oh, us, okay. like, like yeah. Megan gets to edit this one. Yeah. And it's, exactly. it's fine. Right. It's fine. So I, like, I don't think, and I, and I think it's a fun story. I think people will enjoy listening to it. So. Yeah, like Amy, and do you have some closing thoughts? I, I think I've already said it. Like, this is one of my top dramas. And, you know, I apparently will fight, you know, tooth and nail. I get very passionate about things that I love. And obviously, I, I take it a little bit personally if people don't love what I love. But look, I'm going to say a full man that looks like that, who's a virgin at 30, who pats his <laughs> hair as a self soothing mechanism, doesn't realize that he's in love. And I mean, yeah, I don't know that like, and there's a love triangle that's painful. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Megan's just shaking. I like head. the beginning part. I, <laughs> I like the, I like the chicken murder. <laughs> and, and we do have to mention that he 
we don't even see forearm. No, we see nothing. He's dressed up he's like a priest. He's layered. He's layered. No, he's got like a full jacket and pants and boots on the entire time. I do think not that's a mistake. Forearm. I do think we should have gotten to have some pervy. And that's not just me being um, pervy. I think yeah. it would have been in good character as well. But Okay, go watch Waterhung and you'll get to see him in a in a shower in a shower with three other men. I mean, how funny would it have been if she like walked in on him? Yeah. After a shot, like I c- come on, throw us a bone. Throw, like, I mean, give I us like some, if give us some coffee prints, man spread. If you're paying like, yeah. the big money for PSG, like yeah. take advantage of the whole experience. Right, utilize. All <laughs> I think this is the only thing I've ever seen him do where he did not take his shirt off, though. Which more power to him? I mean, in fight for my way, he was shirtless like fifty percent. And he's like, sh- <laughs> you know, Secretary Kim. She was pretty. I mean, look, he's got his shirt off in everything. True. True. So maybe he was like, finally, I can wear clothes. Even Something in friendcation, he's the only one who's not wearing fully, cl- who's not fully clothed. Yeah, no, I don't think pool. he's finally. I think he oh. likes to have his nipples yeah, free. anyway. Well, if you think about how hard he works. I mean, he, that's what I'm saying. He's put, if you're, if you're paying the big money to get him and he's been putting in the work to be who he is. And I don't generally love like jacked up muscle, like, but that's not really what he's bringing to the table either. But I'm just saying mm-hmm. that like. <laughs> well, she rubs her like, eyes. Just give us the thirst trap. I am not yeah. strong enough to turn it down, and I think we could have stood to have it. So I guess that's my wag of the finger for eight one class. Agreed. Agreed. There's there's your there's Leah's only <laughs> wag of the finger. <laughs> one wag of the finger is he should have had seventy five percent less clothing at least once. You know what? That is something we can all agree on. Okay. Absolutely. That and sweaty on Bohyun. Yes. yes. So even if he's in prison on that for note, like killing people, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was just relentlessly bad. Um, he was. Okay. Yeah. So on that note, I think we we're gonna wrap wrap it up, it up and say, yeah. Thank you for listening. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to AfternoonOfDelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!